Gamer chairs worry me. <laughs> they look comfortable. I want to be clear. But it's also like, look at how radical I am with my lumbar support. And you're just like, what? In- is that comfortable? Well, it's, yeah. this, it's this awkward pain where it's like, the only thing on camera is going to be you in the chair. So yeah. I guess that's going to be the sponsored item. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's just it's just also so weird. Like, this is such a real sport that I need to have extreme comfort. And you're just like, oh, I mean, I get it. Like, you don't want to chafe. Hey everybody, this week's episode is brought to you by Couchbase. Couchbase is an open source, NoSQL document and key value store database. It requires no external cache, supports SQL and analytic queries for JSON data, and Couchbase supports technologies like Kubernetes, Java, .NET, JavaScript, Go, and Python. Download it today at couchbase.com slash stackoverflow and let them know we sent you. I like to refer to my sales technique as radical pander. <laughs> Yeah. Radical pander. I tell you the truth about how I'm going to charge you a lot for services. No. I tell you the truth about what you want to hear. Exactly. No, exactly. I'll often say, like, look, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. That's great. So welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast, everybody. I wanted to chat a little bit this week about something we've talked about before, which is time. Time is so mysterious. Keeps on flowing like a river. Apparently, there was a big Robin Hood outage this week. And yeah. a lot of speculation online. So wait, wait, what's Robin Hood? Robin Hood is a mobile app, and they do have yeah. a desktop version, but it started as a mobile app that lets you trade, buy, and sell stocks with no commission. Yeah. Are, are there fees? So here's how it works. Initially, they were basically like, we're venture funded. We have cash to burn. Yeah. Millennials don't want to buy huge blocks of stock. They, and they don't want to pay little. $7 a trade. They want to buy yeah. one stock here, one they stock there. They want to buy $7 of Microsoft. Exactly. So they were like, yeah. all the trades are free. The mobile app is hip. We have cool advertising. And so it became the millennial way to trade stocks. Yeah. They're worth quite a bit of money now. They're, you know, deca corn or whatever. Do they need to make money yet? That's the thing. How do they make money? Yeah. They make money in some pretty interesting ways. Oh, For example, they will yeah. loan you money as like a margin so you can buy on margin. Oh, that's great. Yes. Yeah, that's Cool. Wise. That's really what millennials need. I'm really yeah. glad we got More that over lending. Yes. Yeah. The lend like millennials the trans need to buy fat of finance. Yeah. <laughs> if you run out of cash in your bank account, Robinhood will front I'm you whatever you need in college to buy debt. more crypto and Tesla. You know what I need to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can secure it with your student loan debt, collateralize <laughs> it, and package it up and sell it. No, but, uh, I read on Reddit somewhere that I should buy this stuff. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so Robinhood uh, is very successful in its, in its uh, way. And then they had a big outage. And the initial sort of call out online was, hey. Hey. They missed it. Leap the leap year. day. Yeah. I saw people, like before the news even hit, everyone knew what happened. Yeah. So Robinhood has denied this. They said that uh, there was a, something glitch in their infrastructure that was overwhelmed. Then there was the a rebuttal. The glitch in their which infrastructure was like, that was overwhelmed was the leap, the leap day. Year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but let's just chat a little bit about if you've ever had any experience with this and why this keeps coming back time and time again. Why is time so difficult to manage? Why is that one of the you know points of failure that we see over and over again? Well, I mean, I see it when, so the hardest thing for me to do in the world is schedule a meeting with someone (laughs) in another time zone. Oh, God. And so I feel like it's not so much that time is so hard, and this may be controversial, it's that programmers are sometimes, uh, speaking for myself, programmers can sometimes do dumb things. I mean, first of all, that, I think we can take that as like, 
We're working. We're working for it from first principles. That's a first principle. <laughs> Look, a time is really complicated, and one of the things that's hard is you have to decide which time everyone is going to be using. Yeah, and like in a meta way, not like what what you know is it? Are we going to say it's ten? You know, ten a.m. right now, but like. We're going to use universal coordinated time and it's going to yeah. be for everything and we're going to then get time zone from the client. And, yeah. you know, like you have to have this like very strict. And frankly, I don't know if I've ever seen engineers break out time as like a separate component of building. Mm. Ooh, so that, interesting. Maybe that's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you just invented it. No, because I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe on a project it's worth it to not do this post hoc, but actually sit in the room and say, as part of planning this app and this platform in particular, where there's lots of apps talking to lots of components, we need to decide on exactly one time model. One yeah. of my, one I, of my, I feel like that could be a service. It would be really smart. One of the, one of my favorite things to do in this is instead of discounting on like Unix time since the epoch or whatever, lock in on your databases time model. Mm. Postgres has a great understanding of time as a database, right? Like it really knows all the different things that happened going back to literally year 4000 BC, including <laughs> years that were skipped when they recrafted the calendar and like wow. just, just like banana stuff that happens with calendars over time. And the fact that like Pacific Standard Time two years ago is different than Eastern Standard Time now. And you can put all that information in and it can then you can say like how many seconds ago was that? And, and it'll be right. Yeah, that makes sense. So is the answer here we all decide Postgres is the source of? Because we can't, like, some people can't do Postgres. The whole point is, like, some people can't do Postgres and other people do, like, MS the, SQL. The answer, what I'm going for is that the answer is that there is one canonical way where I can say, subtract these two dates, tell me what time it is now, tell me what time it is now in California, and I will always get the same answer from the same service, right? So yeah. it could be a different database. It could be the one that's built into your operating system. It could be a custom piece of code that, you know, that's open source that you pull in. There's a lot of ways to do it. But I don't, people don't tend to see this as the single, yeah. like a single element in their API that they should really organize their world around. And who knows what, it is kind of weird that Robin Hood, like. March 1st. Leap year is pretty well encoded into just about every system. Right. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like they, they would have had to go out of their way to screw this up. <laughs> well, it would have been someone had, like you're saying, someone somewhere time was defined by a human that's rather right. so, than the server. That's right. Someone's like February. Someone made an array. I cannot tell you the number of times I have said <laughs> months equals, you know, yeah. bracket, quote, yeah. January. Because <laughs> for whatever reason, it actually is often easier to write these simple time modules. Yeah. And then instead, you need to pick that one library. But, you know, you're a modern, diverse programming environment. Probably not diverse in terms of humans, but maybe in terms of programming languages. <laughs> and you've got... Polyglot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're polyglot. That's right. Not diverse. Polyglot. Yeah. Uh, Is that how they say it when they're trying to attract great talent? <laughs> no. I, no I, so you got... But, uh, no. We're a very polyglot workplace, completely yeah. Catholic in our taste. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Your polyglot workplace, right? They have the one time library over here and the one over there. And then somebody came in and wrote that function that's just like, it's a dict. It's a hash structure where it's like Feb bracket 28. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just, that was Thursday. And obviously somebody should have come back. But if you look at it, you go like, well, February is 28 days. Yeah. Push it. Push it. So... Something fascinating that a listener sent us 
was a problem that folks ran into when they were trying to run Docker mm-hmm. for Windows and mm-hmm. Razor Synapse 3. Okay, whoa, okay. I we know, have to, we have to define some things. So Docker. Yeah, it, what, what, what is Docker? So Docker is servers as a service. So it's basically you can run a server in the cloud as a container. It's like a collection of virtual machines on top of a virtual machine, and yeah. you orchestrate these containers. I can just can, run up. Ser- I can just throw up servers and. Can I mansplain a little bit? Yeah, just please do. Okay, so there is this idea of jails in Unix operating systems, where instead of virtual machines, whole big virtual machines running on top of the CPU, the jail is you're going to have a little virtual environment that still has the same operating system kind of underneath, but then it can be a set of libraries and routines and data and programs that run in their little jail calling the same resources, but they're not fully virtualized the way that you would be if you had like two virtual Linux machines running at once. So it's still one machine at the bottom. The thing about this is it's super lightweight. So you can actually have hundreds of them running at once if you wanted to. And one could run Postgres and one could run PHP and one could run MySQL and you know you can stand up all the, all the things you want. And so this is Docker. It is a product that I, I feel has been the least well explained of any that makes sense. It, it, it seems to be surging in popularity, right? The, the Docker a... Kubernetes containerization approach oh, seems God. to be uh, yes. quite the trend. Yeah, that makes mm. sense. It's just there, yeah, it's endless small distinctions. There's like a good cartoon. Is it jail a container or what's dif- yes. the difference? Yeah. Yes. So there's a good cartoon guide to Kubernetes that actually was really helpful to me. I, for some reason, I, you know, I use Docker for fooling around and I, I like I like all this stuff quite a bit. It just scrambles my brain right up, and I'm like, and the Docker command line is one of the, it's like at that level of Git where you're yeah. just like, you also feel like you're in like you're in the root of a server. You truly are. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, yeah. you go in, you're in, you're essentially hitting root on the server that is a fake server on top of the other server, <laughs> and then it's like on Linux, like you can't see the difference. Well, on Linux, it's really different because on other operating systems, it actually is running on top of OpenBox, or it's just oh god, you know, someone write in and explain. But the, um, it's a lot. It's a lot of layers, and it's kind of virtualized, but it's way more lightweight than like running full VMware, unless you're running full VMware. Paul, I love that idea. Hey, if you've got a great, succinct way to explain Docker to a program who doesn't know it, podcast is Stack Overflow. And if you could actually explain it to your relatives over Thanksgiving so the non-techie could understand it. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say it's like the fourth time I've tried to explain Docker in a public context and the <laughs> fourth time I failed. Not as bad as the one time I tried. I've now tried quantum computing twice. That's a disaster. I think you're pretty good at that. Quantum computing? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I really like I'm good quantum. at quantum computing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a lot of states. Nothing happens. <laughs> I like my quantum computing is Schrodinger's computer. That's right. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Easy easy to unpack. Very casual. Um, Okay. Okay. So we've got Docker running on Windows and then Razor Synapse 3, which I had to look up. But it turns out Razor is a line of products Mm. that is hardware that, you know, peripherals that light up. LED peripherals, like those cool mice, those clickety-clackety keyboards. Oh, glowy stuff. Glowy stuff Mm. with LEDs. So they have their own driver that you have to run on your machine. And so people were finding a problem. Wait, to make your LED mouse light up, you run a drive. Oh, because you can customize the, the blinky? Yeah, you can customize all the blinky. 
I mean, honestly, that's important. I see those are cool. I like the cars where the where they're they're like lit from underneath. I yeah, love that stuff. It's very similar to when I had a 1997 Honda Civic and I got stickers that were flames. Yeah. And yeah. put it on the side of the Civic. There's nothing cooler than seeing like a up and coming Twitch streamer who's into gaming and they've got a razor mouse with like electric green lightning bolts and a gamer chair yeah. with like a super headrest and yeah. a water cooled PC. It's yeah, it's it's like the soup it's like the hot rod. And they're playing bejeweled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're speed running bejeweled. Yeah. Okay. So when you're running the driver so something that's um fascinating. So the assemblies on your machine, each uh, generate a GUID to become a unique identifier for the program running. For And so a GUID is... Or GUID. It's a unique identifier. Yeah, globally unique identifier. Yeah, globally yeah. unique so this identifier. So this is actually... Let's talk into that for a sec, right? So you, UUIDs are wonderful thingies. Yeah. Okay, and a UUID is essentially... Like, you can randomly create a string that with a relatively high degree of mathematical certainty, you know that this string will never appear anywhere else. Yeah. So this is really cool if you want to make a database and you want IDs for things, mm -hmm. but your database may eventually get merged with another database somewhere else. Yeah. And eventually it could be like an like hour from now or two seconds from now or 2,000, you know, a year from now. Yeah, those IDs are going to absolutely, there's no way that one will be one and the other one will be one and they'll smash them together yeah. and nobody will know what to do with it. They will be un accepting like really unusual events if you use the right generator they will be completely different yeah so when you say these are absolutely guaranteed to be separate these things yes and actually programmers usually we have to look for error cases like this would be one of those places where you would just never expect things to collide you would never program in like and if the ids are exactly the same because that would be so weird yeah though i do remember a rumor and this will uh, show my age a little bit that MySpace was using a compilation of five GUIDs for their IDs, which is really cool at the time because no website had that number of users. It was just like a right. wild number of users. No, no website was used to having that many users. So MySpace was just like, so yeah, cool. we'll just, I mean, whatever. Tom was like, throw another GUID on the I mean, on the that raises fire. an interesting question, which I would like to dig into, which was, which is, was MySpace innovative? It clearly was from a user perspective. I remember yeah. when it hit in 2004, 2005, when I was at college, people lost their minds. Yep. It had that GeoCities flair. You could dive in and get under the hood and make it personalized, which was really cool. But I wonder, yeah, yeah back end or like more complex, you know, sort of like as they were building it, was MySpace innovative or not? I don't know. I don't even know what it was built in. Do you? No. I want to say PHP because it seems about that time. Yeah, it was around that era. I, I think it... Well, I think what I remember is that it was a lot faster and better than Friendster. Like Friendster yeah. was really slow. Friendster would just like stop. Yeah. They couldn't deal with it. And so MySpace was pretty zippy. And it was also multimedia from the beginning. It was like, right. put up your song, your favorite song, yeah. show us yeah. a video. And that, that part really differentiated Mine was Ms. Fat Booty by Most Deaf. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So that, that, that was good? Yeah, it's a really yeah. good song. And at that point in time, yeah. identified you at that moment. <laughs> As a human, like, this it still is who does I am. Day, Facebook yeah. was still gated to certain universities. And if I remember, you were only allowed to have like one or two pictures as your profile. Yeah. You couldn't have millions of pictures and you could only say things in text or poke people. Yeah. Uh, MySpace was <laughs> of the web. MySpace was like, hey, the web, great, bring it on in. Yeah. We're going to have a thing and we can put web stuff all over it and pictures and anime, I guess. And, and Facebook was always like, no, no, no. 
We're on the web. We're not on the web. Yeah. Calm uh, the hell down. Interesting I, point. Interesting. Yeah. I don't yeah. need any animated gifts. Yeah. Get, uh, get out of here. And one thing that was really underrated about MySpace, which I now pay $30 a month for, for LinkedIn, is those plugins where you could see who is looking at your page. Yeah. This is literally the only reason I pay for LinkedIn. It's like, I mean, look at my page. I don't want to know. I feel that we have a mutually respectful relationship, you know, like me and everyone on LinkedIn. And I just don't want to know. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, I don't know. We don't. Okay. I mean, that thing is a disaster. But like, Paul, several companies are looking at you as a possible CEO and you don't know because you, you don't, don't have this know. LinkedIn. Isn't that for the best? <laughs> and also like if anyone is, oh no, no, no. I, it just, it just gets worse and worse. And it's just all I, uh. that was another thing that blew up. This, I think yeah. MySpace came around when I was a junior and then mm -hmm. senior year, Facebook was going, becoming bigger and somebody came up with a plugin that was like, you can see who's been looking at your Facebook. And yeah. people just went nuts. It yeah, was like, but oh then my they God, shut it down all these so stalkers. Fast. They shut it down fast. But it worked for like a week and people went crazy. I know. I remember. But Which okay, so back to GUIDs. Mm -hmm. So we haven't wasted everyone's time. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Again. <laughs> so anyway, so Razor Synapse 3 and Docker on Windows both made the same mistake when generating these unique identifiers for their assemblies, which is instead of getting the actual identifier, their code has people dug into it and the code uses the correct way to get the identifier, but then uses dot get type. So it's generating an identifier and then getting the type, which is returning the type of the identifier. So basically a good. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah, so it's conflicting. And so the machine thinks there's two of the same program running. And so whichever one is the second one won't run, which is fascinating that two companies made the same. And, and Docker's a big company. Two companies made the same error. Yeah, I mean, in fascinating, but also right. Like, you don't have to feel bad. This is something that maybe is kind of inherent to the way people, folks are building systems. This is think? a tough one. No, though, yeah, I, that seems, yeah. Mistakes happen. Well, mistakes I'm happen. just saying, let, let's break it down. Why would it happen twice? Two People make the same mistake. Yeah. This is a very tricky one because it's, it's like, okay, I have to generate this unique identifier in the context of the operating system in which yep. I'm running. There's a whole setup here that makes sure that I can't get into any kind of pickle. And it's just like, oh boy, it feels like this should just be more lockdown. Like it should be easier to and more guaranteed ways to generate that ID and talk to Windows then so that this couldn't happen. But yeah. God knows. Like, this seems like an easy enough error to make, though, that Windows could check for it. Yeah. You know? Or, yeah, like, make sure that it's a GUID it's getting. Cause, That's the thing, because yeah. it's not getting a, a proper GUID, right? It's no. not getting or a, a GUID or whatever. It's well, so it's actually looking at the code. It's looking, it's returning the GUID as a string. So it's getting a GUID, string format global object. So it's getting the GUID. Get, okay, so wait, is it getting way. an actual, is the operating system getting an actual, like, crazy GUID string? Or is it getting... So looking quickly the at the code. actual type, which is GUID. It's returning a string so what it looks like is it's checking but it wants a GUID like a, the string version of a GUID and so it's getting a string but it's getting the type and then it's hashing the type as the GUID yeah oh my god so it's god. getting something and it's getting what it expects it's getting the object type of the GUID internally represented yeah. inside of Java or whatever yeah it's hashing that as the GUID yeah 
and then the computer is going. Cool. Oh, these are the same. Yeah, they're the. It's, it's well, the the computer's going fine. Looks like a good to me. <laughs> yeah. Because of course, one of the properties is it could never unwrap that and be like, oh, they've done it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, let's do a few life buds, and then we'll say our goodbyes. I just updated the Flutter tag so Twitter does that to date. Awesome. Mm. The question is, how can I access a char in string of spook number? But uh, how do you pronounce that? Oh, man. Okay, I looked it up. The Stack Exchange official answer, the one that shows up first on Google, which is how I access Stack Overview, yeah. it's usually pronounced T C H. A R. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's like, is it pirates? No, I think it, what they mean is it's char. Klingon. It's, it's, it's originally Klingon. I it's, think. Yeah, it sounds very Klingon, right? Like, step into the array of Tachar. But I think it's just Char. Right. Char. No, it's char. Russian. It's Czar char. with a T or Czar with a C. Oh, Whatever you right. prefer. All day. Yeah. Our, our React Native groundhogs. Are uh, no, no, no. How can I access a Tachar in string at a specific number? Was closed as off topic. Sorry. But Montano still getting 20 votes and the lifeboat for that. So Woo-hoo! thanks very much. Good job. How do I convert an <laughs> integer to a JavaScript color? An integer. <laughs> All right. Paul has gone full pirate now. How do I convert an integer to a JavaScript color? Asked seven years and seven months ago. Is the answer a switch statement? What's the answer? You express an ARGB color that is to be used with Canvas or a CSS string you can convert the integer to that string format with this function. What did you ask me? I was asking if it was a switch statement. Oh. D- yeah. Don't know. Maybe it is. Don't sleep on switch I don't see statements. the word switch in here anywhere. <laughs> Everyone's better than switch statements these days. Yeah. Oh, no, you know, it yeah. needs to be a bunch of functions. You know what? That's what happened to me. Like, it's code golf really messes yeah. me up. Yeah. When oh, I go yeah, to code yeah. golf, I'm like, oh, I would I would solve that with an if. And then I see, like, a regex that's, like, three letters. And I'm like, oh. No, well, that's how you yeah. do it. Well, yeah. yeah, as opposed to the explicit way that someone could read. <laughs> yeah. No, that's right. Literally, if, if coders were writers, it would be like everyone would turn in their manuals. Here's my PhD, and it's four words <laughs> and, and they're like, look, no, it's great. So shout out to Esagila for solving that and for putting a cool little demo in their answer that goes to jsfiddle.net. So you can just cool. check it out. Yeah, I like that. I also like just saying jsfiddle.net. How to disable uh, browser developer tools. This was asked. How to disable browser developers is a better, <laughs> better This was asked eight years ago. Just, just stop it. Yeah. Well, it was asked eight years and five months ago. I'm developing a web application, and since it has to access a database underneath, I require the ability to disable the developer tools from Safari, Chrome, Firefox, et cetera. What am I supposed to do? And everyone says, no, you cannot do this. Uh, No, you cannot do this. You need to change your framework. And my favorite answer, there's no way your development environment is this brain dead. I strongly recommend emailing your boss with a demand for a week or two to change this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. I Agreed. love when they say we need to change reality. Yeah, yeah, I also love demand. Yeah. Yeah. The best way to solve this is to email your boss and demand that you get two weeks <laughs> to work ultimatum. on this problem. <laughs> yeah. But uh, still, there were answers. People are getting the answer that there is no answer to that one. So thanks to Sarnold for getting the lifeboat on that one. And the last one, the question is Python rule-based engine. This is closed. It needs to be a little bit more focused because Python rule-based engine is not a question. I'm looking to design a system that will essentially need to make decisions based on input. The input will be a person. And, you know, folks got in there and tried to help this person out. Didn't yeah, matter. They didn't really ask a question. question. Yeah, a little abstract. Good for them. Good but for them. Knox to Fox. Appreciate you getting in there and leaving quite a lengthy essay. 30 points for you. 
Wow, three points. I yeah. like how rules engines are a good topic. My goodness, because I Oof. they are completely mystifying. Yeah. yeah, we should do that at some point. I like rules. Then we can talk about the semantic web. Yeah. Mm, fun. <laughs> Uh, and the semantic Woo. people building. Oh, ratings, ratings, and wiki data. And the pedantic people up. building. And the pedantic people building. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Seems like we got some emails. We would love more emails. Podcast at stackoverflow.com. Hit us up. Thanks to all our lifeboaters. I'm Ben Popper. I'll be working from home next week to quarantine myself and keep everybody safe. You can find me at Ben Popper on Twitter and chat about what life is like at home. I'm Sarah Chips. I'll be working at home next week to get away from Ben Popper. Um, you can find me at sarahjchips on twitter.com. I'm Paul Ford, and I have 12 groundhogs that can pronounce what a char is. Um, <laughs> and you can find me on at Ftrain on Twitter or check out my company, postlight.com. Pronounced charmeleon, actually. Char-meleon. Thank you. <laughs>